we're a purpose-led brand and sustainability is absolutely key. And you can see that from our, our website, but all our materials as well. Our, our goal is very much to use the cannabis plant throughout the supply chain. So that's using the CBD as, as you know, with the health benefits that are attached to that, using the terpenes and part of flavoring, using the fibers for packaging and, and merch and teas. So, so we are getting there, but there are huge challenges in terms of where the industry is at, both from a regulatory point of view, but also from a scale point of view. Welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about Irish innovation. This podcast interviews entrepreneurs, investors, creators, global leaders, talks to them about what they're working on right now and what we can learn from their experiences. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Irish Network, a not-for-profit organization which aims to highlight Irish innovation all over the world. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. This is going to be the final episode in our four-part series on Irish people innovating in corporate cannabis. In previous episodes, you would have heard from Stephen Murphy and Prohibition Partners, which is a global leader in data, events, and media around corporate cannabis. Thea Cremullen from Altum International, which is a brand working on the retail experience around cannabis. And Mark Collins earlier on this year from Supercritical Brands, who is an entrepreneur, a consultant in investment across corporate cannabis. This episode, we hear from Owen Keenan from Goodrays, which should close us out by talking about the opportunities and challenges that still remain in trying to create an actual product that is driven by the plant itself and building an FMCG company. Now, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, do not worry. Each episode was constructed so that it can be a standalone episode, but I do encourage you to go back and listen over the previous three. I found out something new every single chat that I had. It was fascinating to see all of the developments across corporate cannabis. It's phenomenal the the growth of this area and just at every turn how we found Irish people in the midst of that and that's one of the things that I talked to Owen about in this episode as well is why this category seems to be such a big area for Irish people to get involved in. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation I know I did. I enjoyed every single one that I had with each one of these guys involved in corporate cannabis. Thank you for listening. Owen, thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to us today. Hi, Dave. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we should start off with talking about what is Good Raise and uh Good Race has been around since January 2020, so we'd love to get a little bit of an overview of the history as well. Yeah, yeah of course. So, I mean, I'm, I'm Owen Keenan. I'm co-founder and CEO of Good Race. So Good Race is a premium cannabis drinks brand defining a new category of relaxation beverages with the world's most misunderstood plants. Um, we aim to deliver sophisticated flavor experiences and genuine relaxation benefits with no compromise for the consumer. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, we, we started back in January 2020. And uh, I mean, in short, it's been a pretty incredible ride. And 
and I know that sounds a little uh, bombastic, but it's not meant to be, but both from a, a personal and a, and a company perspective. I mean, I've always been involved in startups, but this feels like the first time that I feel like we're breaking really new ground and having a really positive impact. Um, we started in, in January, but we focused, I mean, originally very much on product and production. Um, we actually partnered with the former innovation team from Diageo um, to create beverages that were delicious, that were unique, but genuinely effective and, and told the true story of the cannabis plant, which is something we felt was missing in, in, in the wider market. Um, and although we were you know, pre-selling last year and trading, we, we spent the first nine months really refining the product, the story, the messaging to make sure that what we were saying was resonating with the consumer, but also delivering our vision of the category or what the category will become. Um, I think you know a lot of people don't necessarily understand within the you know outside of the CBD industry just how difficult the formulation can be. Of course, you've got CBD as a as a raw ingredient, which is of course a lipid, which doesn't naturally blend well with any liquid. So there's quite a lot of time gone into you know the formulation of the product, getting really good quality supply, and then actually making sure CBD and whatever cannabis based molecules you're using is really stable within the liquid. Um, and, and that, you know, from, from basically the creation of the product all the way through 18 month, 24 month shelf life. Um, and I think other people don't necessarily understand just how much is involved in the, in the transparency and the compliance side, which is something we focused on a lot last year. And, uh, I mean, the idea there is, you know, we, we really are judged not too dissimilarly to, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical company. We, we gather data on how every batch is manufactured, you know, and take, data points, you know, 22 times across the whole supply chain and the manufacturing process to make sure that our CBD levels are consistent, that we're, you know, creating the same product um, and that we're not creating any unwanted byproducts. Um, and production, right? Working on that sort of infrastructure of production is what we've been focused on last year. And I think, as I mentioned to you just before this call, actually, is you know, getting to scale is actually very difficult. And I'm sure a lot of people listening and a lot of people involved in startups, getting from idea and first product to market to real scale is, is massively difficult and particularly within FMCG. And I think that's why it has such a massive drop-off rate in terms of success. Um, so now we're very lucky that we've been able to scale that quite seamlessly into you know proper large-scale production. So yeah, we, we we obviously focused on building those building blocks in the product, and you know this year we kind of ramped up the trading. We we launched our direct to consumer platform, GoodRace.com, um, in January, and we we built a a platform that you could ship all of our products from one central portal, so that we could get rapid feedback from different types of consumers, whether that's trade or consumers around product messaging, you know, everything else. Um, and then focused, you know, very much on the on-trade. We want to build it in the on-trade from a positioning perspective. We we launched originally as a CBD soda um, back back at the beginning of the year and back end of uh, beginning of last year. Um, and what we realized is that you know CBD soda, I don't think it has the same cut through as where we are now as a cannabis seltzer. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, if you look at how the media and how people react to CBD, really what they're interested in is the fact that this comes from you know this massively misunderstood plant, this really old and incredible plant. I mean, you open the newspaper when you know, a CBD company launches new products or when a CBD company goes public, really the media are talking about a cannabis company there. And to be honest, from a personal perspective, that's the positioning that we always wanted to own. Um, 
And I think importantly, we position it as a seltzer because that's just much more representative of the liquid that we're producing. You know, it's something light, it's something refreshing, and it's something that's designed to be more sophisticated, either as a non-alcoholic alternative or as an adult soft drink. Um, and we felt, you know, it doesn't sit anywhere near like a soda aisle would in, you know, in grocery and off-trade, et cetera. So the on-trade reception has been, you know, pretty exceptional since we've done that. We've, 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 you know, signed uh, Matthew Clark and the Bendham, St. Austell, and we've gone into two more distributors this month. And they're the kind of key distributors we wanted to go into. We're now up to about 500 listings um, in the UK. Um, and rate of sales has been great. So, so the reception has been, been brilliant. And just recently we've moved now into the off trade. We've hired two new roles to, to, to help us push listings. Uh, and we're beginning rollout this month into two new distributors. Um, and then the third channel as well that we've activated, well, fourth channel is, is export as well. So we've just gone into France, into Denmark, and we're having discussions with, with Ireland as well, which is obviously, uh, pretty exciting from a personal perspective. Um, and then the other bits that we're just focused on at the minute is, you know, new product development in the pipeline, looking to launch, you know, three new SKUs, or sorry, three new collections, six new SKUs in total uh, by the end of the year. Um, and we just closed uh, the first phase of our funding round and um, just closed two million and moving on to the second phase, which focuses primarily on, on strategic investors within FMCG. This is phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal story in like such a short period of time, which is uh, fantastic and a testament to the work that you put in there. I, I want to go back to you mentioned like when you're an entrepreneur going from the idea phase right up to like launch and distribution and everything else. I want to take you back to the idea phase because you mentioned something at the start there about creating flavorful cannabis drinks. And that seems to be in contrast to the idea of creating a drink and then just having CBD in it. Uh, could you explain kind of what the, the, the more about this and what the difference is there? Yeah, of course. So, so we wanted to create something which felt like a unique proposition and not just a kind of flavored beverage plus CBD as an added bonus. So, oh, you know, we've got this lemonade or this cola. We've got all these great nootropics. We've got these CBD. We wanted to create something that heroed the cannabis plant and it was part of that central story. And there were passionate advocates and, and, and learners of the plant. I mean, I've been researching this for, for about a decade, uh, but there's always more to learn. And my history goes back. I mean, my entire professional career has really been in cannabis and in, and in the plant. So we wanted to have something that put that centrally. And, and also, you, know, you look at how we consume liquids and how we consume drinks and, you know, from the occasions to the stories that, that make us buy into products in the way that hops, you know, sorry, the beer industry, they, you know, the hero, the hops or the tequila industry, the hero, the agave, and the same way with wine and, and vines. We wanted to do that with the cannabis plant. And there's a number of ways that we try and do that. Obviously, we've got the market leading position in terms of 30 milligrams of CBD in, in each can and each drink. Um, and that is where we feel is like the most effective to feel the full benefits of, of the of CBD. Uh, but we also worked in you know cannabis flavoring into the actual drink. And I, I, I'm sure everyone has a different experience of the cannabis flavoring, the cannabis smell, you know, from depending on where you grew up or, or where you hung out. But if you've been in you know outdoor fields of, of cannabis, it's it's incredibly complex and incredibly sensorial experience getting the smells of the cannabis plants. You know, this is something which over 
200 flavors just within this one plant. And if you can channel that, you create something totally unique. And we've got a bunch of different kind of hemp and cannabis flavors that we create ourselves um, through, you know, through distillation. And, and tasting them is such an amazing experience. And you bring them to people who've never smoked cannabis, who've never touched cannabis, who don't want to know anything about it. And you can bring those flavors and those smells to them. And people are really, really interested in it. So that's something we wanted to work into the products. Interestingly, that you hear of the cannabis plants, but when you go onto the the website, you don't glorify it in the way that I think a lot of people kind of uh, think about cannabis and like the way that it maybe have used to have been glorified in the media. It almost seems like it's it's more focused on transparency and openness and being very clear about uh, what cannabis actually is and what CBD actually is, was this a conscious decision to kind of say, hey, like we want to be a transparent, we want to hero the plants, but we don't want to necessarily glorify it in, in ways where it's potentially being misconstrued as to what it is and what the benefits are? Yeah, 100%. So we were very much about education and to some extent, inspiration. So education is core to the mission, you know, to remove the stigma of the cannabis plant and to take consumers on a journey, advance the knowledge, advance legislation as well. Um, and advance the category of relaxation beverages, but also of CBD beverages. Um, and I think that's key to, for any cannabis brand and any CBD brand. And, and you know, fortunately, we've got decades of knowledge within the team, within the CBD and cannabis category. Um, but I think inspiration is something as well that's really important. I think, I think we do need to talk about the history of the cannabis plant. We need to talk about the fact that CBD comes from a cannabis plant. I think you look at a lot of the CBD industry and they, they hide that in a way. And I, and I know why they do that. And I understand that. But I think connecting it back to its cultural influence from its existence 12,000 years, years ago, you know, through the ancient Chinese civilizations, the Scythians, the Romans, through to the forefathers of the US, and, and obviously through to how it impacts modern culture. We do need to talk about that. If, there, if there's a mission there to change the stigma and the perception of the cannabis plant, that needs to be brought to the forefront. But you need to do it in a way which is you know, educated and which is rooted in, in fact and not fiction. I love that. And when you were talking there, you highlighted you want to destigmatize and help advance the legislation. You know, right now you are creating a consumer brand in a world which is very highly regulated. So what challenges are you kind of facing right now with that? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, every day is a challenge, right? From from how we, you know, market digitally to the production to the supply chain. For for example, you know, look, we're a purpose-led brand, and sustainability is absolutely key. And you can see that from our our website, but all our materials as well. Our our goal is very much to use the cannabis plant throughout the supply chain. So that's using the CBD as as you know, with the health benefits that are attached to that. Using the terpenes and part of flavoring. Using the fibers for packaging and and merch and teas you know we've got actually this t-shirt that i'm wearing right now is half hemp the tote bags that we give out are, are 100 hemp um so so we are getting there but there are huge challenges in terms of where the industry is at both from a regulatory point of view but also from a scale point of view on, you know on the regulatory side we can't do any extraction of cbd within the uk which is madness given that like the UK is the biggest international exporter of medical cannabis, which is insane. So you can't extract 
any CBD from any of the hemp grown here. It, it, a lot of it is burned, which is an absolute travesty. So we actually have to source ours from Colorado and from Oregon, which of course are you know great regions for, for growing cannabis. Um, but it does create supply chain uh, difficulties. And obviously we would want everything to come from the UK and everything to be locally grown. But there are difficulties because of course in Europe, you have limitations about what kind of strains you can produce, which are m- much lower percentages of CBD. So it actually ends up being more sustainable to grow your cannabis over in Colorado and Oregon, extract over there, and then ship your CBD into into the UK or into Europe or wherever else um, to be to be the most sustainable solution you know, based on where we're at. And I think one thing people don't realize is just, you know, we're still developing the extraction technology and we're still pushing forward the legislation. One thing we're trying to do constantly is how do we advance this cannabis flavor, right? It's such an interesting flavor. It's such a great USP. How do we do that? And there's massive difficulties in terms of the distillation process and what you can do from raw flowers to extracts because people are so concerned about what, you know, what kind of byproducts there might be rightfully so to be a transparent brand. So a lot of those things need to be, need to be worked out and, from a digital perspective, the advertising is very difficult as well because obviously Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, as you probably know very well, have very strict uh, strict legislation and strict limits on what you can do from an advertising perspective. So you do need to be creative. Um, I think you need to be a product-led brand and you need to be a purpose-led brand as well. You'd have clear content and it's hard work. Like it is, a, it is an extra... Everything adds, you know, 10, 20% extra amount of work that needs to be done. But we're fortunate enough that we've got a pretty decent, hardworking team that gets through it. I mean, that's really fascinating to hear because just the way that you've kind of framed it, where it's like everything just takes that extra 20% work is is fascinating. one thing I wanted to kind of pivot to is like the industry and the opportunity as a whole, because, you know, as we've started to see, there is a lot of deregulation coming in. The CBD based products seem to be becoming more and more mainstream. Is it just a matter of time before we start seeing some of the big conglomerate companies like PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, and all of them starting to venture into this category, whether that be through acquisitions or through investing into startups that are working in these areas? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I definitely think so. so. I mean, you can look over at the States and Canada, you look at Molson Coors investing in Hexo, you look at AB InBev investing in Tilray, and these are you know, big chunks of money. You look at Constellation Brands, you know, investing a billion into, into Kennedy Growth. These are massive, massive deals. And I know from my previous work, my advisory work, um, working with these brands, you know, working with PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, you're talking to these guys, and it's always the research, it's always the market research teams that you speak to because essentially what they're doing, at least in Europe, is they're circling the industry. They're looking at who's going to be the really interesting players. But over in the US and Canada, they're, they're properly taking the plunge. They're investing, they're acquiring. And 100%, I think you speak to big drinks companies, you speak to big tobacco companies, you speak to big pharma. They know that how disruptive this category can be. And it's only a matter of time, really, until they until they move in. And I think, you know, a lot of people in the UK are probably waiting for this novel food um, legislation to be cleared up, which hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, it will be. 
Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that'd be the case because it is something that's been kicked down the road a little bit, but I think next two, three years, you'll definitely see proper moves once these, um, once the big independent companies, you know, like ourselves and some of the other people in our category, you know, we're, we're reaching now the kind of revenues and the kind of, uh, you know, valuations and the kind of, um, growth that is really interesting to these guys that's when it'll start to move i think it's probably two two to three years out but there are barriers in terms of what these guys can do independently you know within their own uh, innovation labs and within their own within their own kind of portfolio like in terms of knowledge of the supply chain but also in terms of the actual legislation right in in, in the uk you can't launch new products unless it was on the product unless it was on the market before um february of last year 2020 so how would pepsico how would Coca-Cola launch new products in the UK. Now, all this stuff will be, I think, worked out over time, but there are those questions about, I personally think the only way into the market right now is acquisition. And it also makes sense given the complexity of the supply chain, the knowledge, the networks, the distribution, et cetera. It makes perfect sense. It seems like that a lot of those conglomerates will, uh, as you say, they're going to be on the lookout for, <laughs> for companies which are kind of uh, making waves in the industry and uh, kind of ride the bandwagon. I'm kind of thinking of the way that like Unilever has bought the likes of uh, Dollar Shave Club after the fact that they like kind of made their stamp in the market. Yeah, and I think I think as well it's important to mention as well like Unilever in particular, right? Unilever's brands, you know, their sustainable and purpose-led brands are they are growing at twice the rate of their normal brands. I mean, these guys are looking at this and you look at general consumer trends in terms of how people are reacting to CBD, but also how people are reacting to alternative ways of relaxation, whether that's the no and low alcohol category. I mean, these are proper step changes occurring in the consumer and, you know, big alcohol know that, you know, Diageo know that, AB InBev know that. That's why there's such a big no and low space growing up. And I think it's it's definitely only a matter of time before they move in. And we can see that from the, the kind of blueprint that's been set over in the US. It's funny that you mentioned purpose-driven brands, because I always admire Ben & Jerry's when they come out with very strong political statements at times that say like, this is what our values are. And this is how we view ourselves as a business as a result. Like um, they've done everything from come out in regards to pro LGBTQ. And uh, they had a great climate change campaign a while ago, which was just melted ice cream. And they were like, this is our future. And I thought that was just brilliant. It just kind of like really shows their purpose and their values. Now, while they're not like, you know, ice cream's not the healthiest thing, I still look at that and go, you know, that's a company that I can buy into, you know? Um, but actually kind of going on to a point that you made about some of the actual benefits as well when it comes to like the relaxation inside of things. Because I keep on hearing that CBD and cannabinoids can really help with things like sleep, stress, and pain. But similar to what you were talking about there with some of the challenges in regards to uh, the, the conglomerates have is that there's still probably not as much research into cannabinoids and CBD as there are in other industries. So are we actually only scratching the surface right now of the potential of CBD and cannabinoids? And could we actually benefit from more investment into research and into kind of uh, deregulation of extraction so that there can be more research? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think in particular on the cannabinoid side, I mean, we need to remember, right, that this is a plant that's been outlawed for you know, the best part of the last century. I mean, researching this plant for the last past century or past at least 60, 70 years has been an absolute nightmare. And it's been so limited and it's been so difficult to even get your hands on it from a research point of view. So there's a lot more to understand. Um and I think from a you know, CBD perspective, you know, CBD and THC are just two of over 120 cannabinoids that we know of. So we, we're, only, we're only scratching the surface in terms of cannabinoids that we even know. So you can imagine how limited our knowledge is on, on the rest of the cannabinoids and their function, because they all have independent functions and in what they can do as well. And, and many of them have potential medical and health benefits. So I think it's very much scratching the surface and you can kind of see the increase in research papers, the increase in, in, in funding and the increase in clinical trials that's, that's opening up, which is only going to advance our knowledge, which is, which is an amazing thing. And, and I mean, from, from even from a consumer perspective, you know, we're, we're, we are essentially, you know, breaking new ground in, in terms of the research and development, even the production of these products. I mean, no one, no one has actually really brought cannabis based products onto the market pre, you know, 2017, 2018, right? At, at, at a mass scale, this has never really been done before. I mean, it's, it's a privilege for us to be one of the first, you know, cannabis consumer goods companies. And, 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 and every day, you know, or every week we're in, we're finding out new things about the plant, whether that's in the lab, whether that's at production, whether that's, you know, in our own research, whether that's talking to new people, new suppliers, new technology. It's, it's both developing in terms of our knowledge of the actual plant, but also in terms of our knowledge and how we utilize the plant and how we deliver it. And when it comes to like the utilization of the plants as well, it's like, I mean, if you're talking there about like we've, we haven't even scratched the surface on understanding the plant, let alone understanding the benefits. Um, you know, when we're thinking about it, I know you're wearing a hemp t-shirt, a hemp, like you give out hemp tote bags. It's like, it feels like then that it, that across everything, it's like, this is almost like a wonder plant. Like this is like, it almost feels like a no brainer as to like why we haven't like utilized this. Um, I know, I know, I know. You said earlier that um, we try and refrain from uh, glorifying the plant, and then I go on a podcast, and then just you know keep keep going about it. But I think that's that's the way we look at it, and we're you know we're so fascinated. I think we always talk about the health benefits. You know, we always talk about um, that side of things, but there's also the sustainability side. I mean. Hemp has the you know the power and the ability to disrupt plastics, to disrupt uh, you know petroleum, to just to disrupt cardboard. It's 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 massively uh, sustainable and it's it's ten times more effective at sequestering carbon than uh, trees. If you know an acre of hemp versus an acre of trees, so th- there's a lot that can be done, and we're working on plans to make sure we you know we plant we plant hemp for every can purchased as well. So we have proper sustainability plans. We also want to look you know three, five, ten years down the line to see where this plant can go and what kind of innovation labs we can do, what we can do with new cannabinoids. And that's one of the reasons we position it as a as a cannabis brand and not a CBD brand. We don't necessarily want to be pigeonholed just as a as a CBD product. So you kind of see it as you want to make sure that you have the the door that's open for multiple possibilities as you learn more about the plants and learn more about the different cannabinoids. 
Yeah, absolutely. This, it isn't just a PR play. It isn't just, you know, something we'll slap on a can to turn heads. You know, we, we want to take a stance, but we, we also want to, you know, open up our portfolio and opportunities for the future. And, and we're also run and founded by a team of people who are really interested, focused and, and knowledgeable about the plant. So it, it makes sense to try and own that position. I was actually just thinking there as well that, uh, you know, when you're talking about a purpose-driven brand, like that sticking to cannabis, it makes it a purpose-driven brand because you are specifically saying like, hey, like we want to talk about the the benefits and everything that this uh, this plant has to offer. I also imagine that this also will differentiate you from going back to what we were saying about those brands that are like, hey, we've got a cola and we put in CBD into it. And that kind of very much differentiates it. I think so. I think so. And I, I'm trying, I'm not trying to, um, you know, degrade uh, any other brands at all. Like I, I think collectively we will build up a category and there are some amazing brands out there. Don't get me wrong. And then we probably need to have really accessible products like colas and lemonades plus CBD because it, it gives a really, really accessible format to enter CBD. So that's just not necessarily the kind of consumer and the position that we're going after and in, in terms of, you know, the long-term position. So, um, but absolutely support supportive of other brands doing that and i think you just need to have a you know kind of full and varied shelf and and, and product and portfolio product basically to develop the category uh, you know when you mentioned other brands and one thing that i've noticed in my research is that when you go to southeast asia out of hong kong there's uh, altum there irish people in the midst of things you go over to uh, colorado and you go over to like places where they're actually cultivating cannabis and there's Irish people there. There seems to be Irish people everywhere in the midst of things. And even like you've had your own experiences meeting with Irish people involved in this industry. Um, so I think like, if, well, I've got multiple questions here, but let's maybe start with like, uh, what was the moment that you yourself realized that this was an industry that you wanted to be a part of? And like, what was it that, like excited you in particular? Yeah, I don't know if there was one central moment, but more of a collection of experiences and interests. So I, I mean, I was always really interested in, you know, things like counterculture. I studied, you know, sociology. And as part of my sociology undergrad, drug policy was one of my main focuses. It was actually the effects of the cannabis black market on society it was one of my first dissertations. Um, and that interest in the plant and the surrounding structure of the policy, coupled with the fact that I'd always been, you know, semi-entrepreneurial and I think relatively hardworking. You know, I had full-time jobs and started my own business at university, but it, it meant that I became kind of obsessed about the potential and the future of like a legal cannabis market. So I went to the US and Canada, you know, shortly after university and went to study everything from the plant, the you know, the production, the supply chain, the dispensaries, the brands. Um, and I met some incredibly interesting people who, you know, who moved in seek of that counterculture originally, you know, the hippie revolution back in the 60s and 70s, but they'd stumbled on this incredible opportunity and, and treated with such passion and respect and I left that time knowing that there would be kind of three hugely influential spaces of, of change in the cannabis market and um, for me and this is something I, I always say to you know investors and people moving into marketing you know, cultivation is fairly saturated um, and the way it's structured at the minute doesn't necessarily make sense so if we're uh, if we're looking at growing you know in in Dundalk, maybe, you know, 
we can look at it, but maybe it's not the most sense, you know, to, to like growing cannabis in minus 30 degree uh, weather in Winnipeg is, is maybe not the future of the market, right? But I, I think the three kind of future places and spaces in the market ready for growth is, you know, the ancillary services, um, is an innovation within those cannabinoids that we talked about and lifestyle brands. Um, and when I came back to Europe, you know, I was very much interested in, in, in number one is that ancillary services. So I, I met um, you know, Stephen Murphy and, and Rob Reed of Prohibition Partners, and we helped build build Prohibition Partners up together. I mean, I was, I was the, the first person in the door and helped group the uh, Cannabis Europa together as well, which is obviously um, Europe's premier kind of cannabis conference. Um, but I always wanted to move into the consumer space, um, both from you know a mission and a purpose perspective. I wanted to take cannabis and you know put it in front of people in bars and restaurants and hotels and Tesco and Sainsbury's, and, and I thought that would genuinely change perception, and I still do. Um, so I was kind of looking at that space and, and looking at the opportunities within the space, and you know constantly just being reaffirmed by the effectiveness of CBD. And at that point, I'd met my two co-founders, um, Justin Stone, um, and he was a former founder of Surfdome, scaled that up to you know 100 million in sales and, and moved that, sold that to Quicksilver. And um, Chris Kelly, um, who was founder of Surfdome, or sorry, sorry, founder of Copa 90, um, which is one of the biggest football content platforms in Europe um, and ran some of the biggest you know, digital media agencies in London. So, and, and our third co-founder, sorry, fourth co-founder, Owen Tozer, who is the, uh, who is previously creative director of Tenzing and worked on a bunch of different brands in the UK. So collectively, we really had that knowledge from the product and production side to operations and finance to audience and media and all the way to creative and brand building. Um, and at that point, it just kind of became a no-brainer to move into the consumer space and, and launch Good Race. I mean, it's interesting to just hear all of the different backgrounds kind of coming together on this uh, and uh, just how how you've all taken like uh, your own perspectives and your own kind of backgrounds and being able to kind of work on like this, as we've kind of talked about this purpose-driven brand. So I think my next question to kind of follow on from this is like, why are there so many Irish people in this industry? Um, it just seems it, it's very, it's fascinating to me that like everywhere we seem to look, there seems to be uh, Irish people, but each taking different angles. Like you mentioned, Stephen Murphy with Prohibition Partners, and you know they've been doing events, and we'll be talking to Stephen on the podcast as well. Um, so, what do you think it is like about this industry? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, I spent a lot of time with Stephen Murphy and with Rob Reed and um, also worked a lot with Alistair Moore as well of uh, Hamway Associates and originally Cannabis Europa. And we had this conversation quite a lot, right? You know, four Irish guys and a bunch of others as well. And, you know, why were we so obsessed with this market or this plant? And I think there's probably, you know, two facets to it. I think particularly the Irish abroad, and maybe you disagree, we, we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. You know, we've moved abroad. We, we have to make that decision worthwhile. We can't go home without having achieved something or, you know, got involved in something exciting. You know, you have to go home with a bit of a story to tell if you do go home. So I, I think there's partly that. I think, you know, there's, there's a certain ambition there and uh, a certain, you know, drive to, uh, to accomplish something. And I think, you know, cannabis, cannabis opportunity 
gives so much on that front because you know you're you're changing something from a commercial perspective but also from a societal perspective um and i think you know we're also to to a certain degree opportunists right you know we see this as something on the horizon that has big potential and we we want to take a gamble on it um and I think lastly, there's a there's a great cannabis connection in Ireland, which maybe not a lot of people know about. Maybe I'm romanticizing it, but uh, there's a great physician called William O'Shaughnessy, originally from Limerick. And he was famous for introducing cannabis to Western medicine, prescribing it for migraines and epilepsy. And that goes as far back as 1838. So there, there is actually a history there if, you, if you're willing to look for it. Maybe I've looked for it purposely to find a reason why cannabis people are so interested, Irish people are so interested in cannabis. But uh, I think that is, you know, coupled with just the nature of ourselves. I mean, it's it's funny because I think we were talking to Mark Collins, who was out of uh, he's based out of San Diego, and he also mentioned uh, William O'Shaughnessy, and his point of view was like, you know, this is the deep seated like Irish connection <laughs> um, that you have Irish to thank for the industry as a whole. So I, I'm definitely oh great. Maybe maybe I'm a bit more maybe I'm a bit too cynical. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned like about growing cannabis is like, you know, potentially the, the market there is saturated. But, you know, as we've seen Ireland become a hub for multiple industries and being the hub for Europe in particular around areas like tech and other industries that are uh, constantly being innovated or, um, you know, are being kind of turned on their heads. Could we potentially see Ireland, in a way, become a hub for uh, the commercial cannabis? I think potentially. I mean, you can see there's some big investment firms in Ireland, and we've got some great researchers, some great scientists in the space, and we also have a great connection with the US and Canada, particularly you know post Brexit, as the uh, you know, one of the only English-speaking countries left in, in the EU, and those. You know, U.S. and Canadian companies are moving into Europe. They're looking to move into Europe, and I think they can do that via Ireland, which is quite exciting. But the legislation has to change. You know, we still have such limited access that it would be, you know, nearly farcical to have a booming industry with limited patients. I mean, that's been a problem in the U.K. At one point, we had more cannabis companies than than cannabis patients, and I think that that needs to change for, you know, first and foremost. Wow, that's an amazing stat. There was more cannabis company uh, companies and cannabis patients. That's yeah, cannabis, cannabis and CBD patients. You know, this is maybe maybe eighteen months ago. You know, in the first few months of the uh, of the trials. You know, in terms of actually the amount of patients that were being prescribed, particularly through the NHS. You know, compared with the companies, it was yeah, quite upsetting. That's crazy. That's one of those like odd statistics that just feels like it. It it feels I I don't know actually I don't know how to react to it. It's just so mind blowing that it's like that in one sense you've got the kind of the private sector kind of really innovating and pushing forward, and the public sector is just still so far behind um, that it's almost like that that there's such a gap there to innovate again to innovate and to kind of shake things up. Yeah, absolutely. You can understand why, you know, advocates in the industry um, who've been working on this for years are, are quite upset by that, right? The gap in public access versus private access. And I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, they, you know, one 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 forces the other, you know, the, the, the public, the public interest, public knowledge, the public perception. Um, 
and the private industry helps to open up access on the public side. That's that's what I hope will happen. I think just based off of like conversations that I've had with you and others, um, it feels like that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It feels like that the destigmatization, the kind of the move of many companies into investing and kind of realizing what the um, actual benefits are and then the education of people just generally is all kind of merging to this idea that yes, the the right direction is kind of to, uh, to deregulate, to make it more accessible. Um, but possibly not in the deregulation that I think a lot of people think about. Like I often hear this kind of pushback from a lot of more conservative folks, especially in North America, where it's like, well, you can't legalize it and like make it totally unex- uh, like totally accessible straight away because like, uh, you know, the world will <laughs> burn down, you know, the usual kind of like uh, talking points there. But yeah, it, it, it feels like that there's a more considered approach to deregulation where people are kind of saying like, yeah, let's let's roll this out, let's face it, let's do it in the right way and make sure that um, it's done in a way that people can receive the benefits, but it's also done in a way that we also can kind of make sure that we're not kind of unleashing something that we don't fully understand out onto the market, out to everybody. Yeah, it's, it's a massively complex industry, right? When you look at how many people and how many different industries and sectors are involved in this, it's like from everything from FMCG to pharma to alcohol, tobacco, to legislation, to research, to academics. Like this is a hugely complex industry when you look at it from a bird's eye point of view. Um, and I think the way of unlocking it in, you know, what we've seen in blueprints in most countries is the CBD tends to be the starting point for that. The CBD market, people you know, get access to CBD. It does normalize the, the attitudes. And people realize you know, this isn't something totally crazy. There are a lot of benefits to this plant. And that's one of the amazing things about CBD. And one of the amazing things from you know, that we need to do as a brand is to educate people on that. I'd love to get your advice because uh, on this because there will be a lot of people listening to this that are entrepreneurs themselves and are potentially thinking, hey, like, yeah. I want to kind of explore opportunities in this area. What would be the advice that you give them to start researching and exploring this this topic? Um, don't cultivate. <laughs> Stop <laughs> cultivating. Um, no, I think, look, I think there's some general rules, you know, entrepreneurial rules, which I'm sure people talk about all the time is, you know, build a great team, have great partners. I think it was the Y Combinator in the US that once had a rule and maybe it still does, but, you know, founders applying for seed capital require partners. And I think that's a fundamentally good idea because it's it's always going to be long hours and there's always going to be long, you know, high amounts of stress and high paces. So having something to share that load with makes all the difference in the world. Um, you know, and I think from the cannabis perspective is you have a great have a great USP, you know, be a genuine first to market position or product that can be communicated in you know a few sentences. Um, that's that's really important. And then, you know, back to another general entrepreneurial rule is just have processes, you know. Without processes, the business can't run, you know. Always remember the ugly and the boring bits of the business first and the flashy bits come second. I love that. That's a great, great piece of advice. Uh, and then for good ways, I know you mentioned that you've gotten funding recently. You've started to expand the hiring. Uh, what is next for good ways? 
Yeah, I think I think those are the key points. Is you know we're going to continue to build the team and continue to build distribution and sales. I mean that's a massive focus for us. That's where we're investing, um, and that's new markets, but that's also new channels, new listings all the time. Looking at that, um, and then launching new products as well. I think you know setting out in this journey, we realize there's a huge opportunity for the category as a whole for you know multiple formats and multiple products, and you know, we intend to go out and launch you know best in class products and. Each of them. You know, how can this audience, the digital Irish audience, uh, help you as you continue to expand and continue to grow? Yeah, I think um, it's worth mentioning we we have just closed that two million of funding, but we are interested in speaking to strategic investors um, that might be able to support us and, and open doors and you know, be collaborative. Um, and we're always looking for opportunities, you know, whether that's you know, sales, distribution, partnerships, and and working with the right people. Oh, and I just want to thank you again. Um, the link to the Good Raise website will be linked to in the notes of this. Uh, podcasts and um, so definitely reach out to good ways and if you can help them out in any way uh owen i just want to thank you again because this has been a really fascinating conversation it's been uh amazing to hear about so much progress that you've made in just 18 months which is spectacular oh thank you so much for the opportunity dave we really appreciate it And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much again to Owen Keenan for joining to talk us through everything that's happening with Goodrays and to hear his thoughts on why so many Irish people are involved in corporate cannabis. In two weeks time, we're gonna have our next podcast coming out and we are pivoting the next series of podcasts to focus on Irish people innovating at companies that could have a big impact post pandemic on the way that we live our lives. We're gonna be talking about what is the new normal and how entrepreneurs or investors should be thinking about the next steps post pandemic as well. We're very excited to bring you this series. So keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please share this podcast with anybody that you know who may be interested. Thank you all for listening and hope to catch you again soon.